I'm like, I'm going to save Pastor Stevie from himself. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, again, thank you so much for being here. Hey, a little update. Our plans to the building are almost completed. Uh, if you didn't know, we are building a new facility out there. It's three times the size of this one. So it's going to be amazing. Um, you know, it's a hurry up and wait thing. If you're in construction, you know how that works. But here's what I know. God's timing is always perfect. Okay, the price of lumber is coming down a little bit. Um, so it's always good. We just want to build in the mud and the snow. That's just really what it comes down to. All right, but it's going to be great. Well, hey, my friend, Pastor Nathaniel and Christina are here today, um, and he's been a friend of mine for, boy, I don't know, since we were yay big. Um, and, uh, you know, first met them, uh, they were both in the Air Force, so, so thank you for serving this great country, and uh, met them, and they were youth pastors and, and still in, in the military, and now they're um, still in a war, let's call it raising children. Um, but he'll tell you a little bit about that. But he's one of my favorite preachers. Um, I called him this morning the myth, the man, and the almost legend. But after the message this morning, he's the legend. And uh, you will be challenged and changed. So let's welcome Pastor Nathaniel. Come on up and give us a word, brother. Love you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, uh, as I said, I, I said this morning, it's really an honor and a privilege um, to be sharing up here. Uh, Pastor Stan has been a really great friend and mentor, and you guys just have an amazing uh, ministry team here. Uh, every single person that I've met from volunteers, uh, I, Pastor Stan, me and my wife met first and um, then got to know Chase a little bit. And then uh, Kristen and Stevie, just an amazing addition. And uh, you guys have an amazing team here. Can you guys just give a, a round of applause to your, 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 your ministry leadership team? God has really blessed this house, and I believe he's going to continue to. Um, and that does not stop with them. Uh, that always comes down to, the, um, to every individual in here. Um, God has a plan for the, the, the newest person walking through that door and a, a way to be part of what he is doing. Um, and that, I, I love that about God. He, he, he doesn't leave anybody out. Um, he doesn't leave anybody out and he'll move heaven and earth for one person. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe that he'll do that for us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So my, uh, my wife and I, um, we have, uh, I men mentioned her, she's right here. I want to embarrass her a little bit, um, so that she can blush, uh, but what's it called? My wife and I, we have two little girls, um, five-year-old named Aria and a, and a one-year-old named Avery. Um, if you want to get under Aria's skin, you can call her a sweet potato. Um, that's what I call her is a sweet potato. Um, and she doesn't like it. Uh, so you can, you can get under her skin a little bit that way. Um, and then my beautiful bride here is an, a regular example to me. Um, she is my, my wife, my Lily, my love, my sugar tush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew that one would get her. All right. Uh, <laughs> But uh, she is a regular example um, to me of God's goodness and how he has a plan far greater than what we can see. The reason I call her my Lily is because in the darkest time of my life, um, when I was at the low of my low, um, and I really felt like there was nothing that I had to offer, there was no reason for me to even live, and I was in this, this time of almost self-sabotaging myself where doing things that I knew were hurtful and harmful and wanting to self-sabotage myself. And I came to grips with this moment 
and with God, and I, I had to let go of all of my aspirations, everything that I'd ever hoped to have, everything I'd ever hoped to be, and really wrestling with God in my room and, and, and tears, I gritted through my teeth, you'll be enough if I get nothing, if I have nothing, if I can never, if I can never do any of these things that I aspire to do in my life, if, you will be enough is where I had to come with God. Not long after that, this beautiful one came into my life. Um, and it was just through uh, some, uh, through, <laughs> we have an interesting story that I would not be able to write, um, that I would not be able, I, I would not have written it that way, um, but it was through some, some friends, her family, my family, friends, it's, it's, we're, we're not related, it's... <laughs> We are and then we aren't. It's, it's weird. Okay. No. <laughs> but uh, God wrote a beautiful story because he has plans for us that are far greater than what we could ever put together. And, and his plans are one of the ways that we know, that we see how great he is. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are the example I always love to go to at the start of this because they are this beautiful just this beautiful image of God doing something that was impossible and no one would have thought of doing, right? And, and he, he, he lengthens it out for a good while. I mean, Abraham's walking around talking about having kids for over a decade, right? And it's, he's, he's an old guy. He, he's, he's far beyond the age of childbearing and so is his wife, Right? His wife is far beyond the age of childbearing, and now he's walking around and he's talking about for the past 10 years, he's been saying, I'm going to have a kid. Me and Sarah are going to have a kid. Me and Sarah are going to have a kid. And he had to know that the people in his camp were looking at him crazy. They had, he had to know that they probably thought his, his bolts were coming loose, you know, that he was, he was getting up there and he was getting a little senile in his old age and, you know, that he was, he was losing it. And they were looking at him and saying, this dude's crazy. And they, they probably even tried to talk to him about, oh, yeah, Abraham, you know, there's God, God has some great plans for you. And, you know, maybe you can adopt some kids and, you know, and but no. He, he, he stuck with it and he knew what God had told him. And I love this because Abraham did not let the expectations of others become his own. Instead, he listened to what God had to say. And it, he's such a great example, such a great example of how we can be molded by what man expects of us. Or we can be molded by what we expect from God. And now what we expect from God, that's going to come back to a lot of how you know him. How well do you know him? What, what, are, what are your thoughts of him? I, I guarantee you whether or not you have a really great image of God or you have a horrible image of God, that is going to mold and shape the way that you look at this world. It's going to mold and shape the way that you expect things to play out, the way you expect things to happen. What we expect from God is one of those things that mold us and also what others may expect from us, we can allow to mold us as well. And today I want to talk about God's great plans. And in doing this, we have to 
consider Jesus. There's this verse in Hebrews chapter 3. Um, and it's not the main verse for today, but I love it because it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Just consider Jesus. In every moment, as we're going through things, as we're, as we're facing our struggles, as we're trying to, to put things together, Consider Jesus in the good times and the bad times. Consider Jesus. As we're talking about the plans that God has for us, the, the plan that God has for you as you, you think over that and you think about the practicality of it and the possibilities of it and, and whether or not you know this is realistic, I want you to do something. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. When we don't, so often we settle. We settle for less. When, when, we, when we don't consider Jesus, we don't consider the fact that we have the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, someone who came and walked on water and fed thousands, and opened the eyes of the blind and raised the dead, and, and someone who came and literally stretched out his arms after being tortured and put up on a cross for you, then we settle for less. We settle for less. And... God has so much more for us. He really does. And we need to consider Jesus as we're going through, as we're, as we're pressing and we're seeking. So often if we settle, we don't ask. Um, anybody ever been in that, that moment where they don't want to pray for something because they feel like God's not going to answer? What do you expect from God? You don't want to pray because you don't, you don't think he'll answer. What do you expect from him? You, you, you are, you're, you're going through these different things. You don't want to witness to this person because you don't think it's going to go anywhere. What are you expecting from God? What are you expecting? You don't really want to give the effort and try to heal and mend this relationship because you feel like healing is, 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 it's impossible. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And I have to say, especially as a, as a body of believers, I've seen so often within the church that because we don't set our minds to Jesus and who he was and what he did and what he called us to, we don't consider Jesus. We get comfortable just coming in Sunday after Sunday and we're, we're good listening to the word, but we don't want to go out and share it. We, we're, we're good attending church, but we don't want to be the church, right? We, we, we settle short because... We're not considering Jesus and the, the fact that you have the Lord of heaven and earth and the same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead is at live and at work within you and you expect something less. When Jesus said, you can do more. Mm. We expect less when he said we can do more. Let's, let's look at Jesus as our example I love this passage that we're looking at. It's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. We're going to be talking about God's great plans. There's great plans. And Isaiah 53, I believe, shows this a little bit. Um, and Jesus is the, the ultimate plan. 
God's plans for us all are within Jesus. Jesus is God's greatest plan for you. You may not think it, right? You can be a, you know, uh, athlete in high school and you think that the greatest plan for you is to become a pro, get to the Olympics, right? But God has a greater plan. He has something even greater. And it's not saying you can't go to the Olympics, but trust me, that's nothing. That's nothing in comparison to what God has for you. So we're going to look at Jesus. And I love this passage, Isaiah 53, this book of Isaiah, it's often referred to as the fifth gospel. I was just talking with my friend. He was saying, well, actually, it should be the first gospel because it was written first. Um, <laughs> right? This was written. We're looking back. So G- Isaiah is looking back on Jesus 600 years before Jesus was born. And he's writing this about him. He's looking back on Jesus 600 years before Jesus was born. And he writes about Jesus here in this fifth gospel. And we're going to look at some of his description of Jesus, some of the description of God's plan of what God had laid out for Jesus and see what lessons we can pull from it. Starting in verse two, he says, Isaiah 53, verse two, for he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from men and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Doesn't that just sound beautiful? Like, wouldn't you want that on your tombstone? Right? You, you, wouldn't you want to be described as a, a root out of dry ground? Someone who had no beauty that people wanted to look at him? Someone despised and rejected. Someone with sorrows and grief. Someone who was not esteemed. And others thought was smitten, stricken by God. Great plan. Great plan. Right? But what we're going to be looking at today, pulling some lessons from here. Number one. Appearance does not determine ability. Appearance does not determine ability. See, now you have to remember that Isaiah is looking back 600 years before, right? And so he's saying, this is what we thought of him. This is what people thought of Jesus while he was living. And and, and shortly after he's gone, this is what people were thinking of him. This is a root out of dry ground. Anybody do gardening, right? Gardening, you know, I mean, you probably don't even need to garden to know this, right? Who who does not do gardening? Somebody who's never touched, touched, right? So like, you're like, I have no green thumb whatsoever. My, 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 right? So I'm going to ask, because you raised your hand, right? If you're gardening, how do you want your ground? 
you want it good, right? So, so does dry ground sound good to you? Does that sound like something you want to garden in? No? Why not? Nothing can grow. You're not going to get anything from that, right? Right? No substance. There, there, there's, why would you try to garden in dry ground? You're not going to get anything from dry ground, right? And the people said the same thing about Jesus. Because of where he came from, he was no good. His, his own disciple said, nothing good can come from Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Nothing good can come from that. Nothing good's coming from that dry ground. His, and the, so there's one of his friends saying that, and then his enemies say, no prophet comes from Galilee. You can't be a prophet. He can't be a prophet because of where he comes from. He can't be a prophet. And you may be looking at your history and other people may be looking at you and saying, nothing good's going to come from your family line. Nothing good is going to come from your parents and your family line. Nothing good is going to come from that dream that you've been talking about. Nothing good is going to come from that business that you're developing. Nothing good is going to come from your kids. Nothing good is going to come from your marriage. Nothing good is going to come from your history and your past because of the addiction that you had, the things that you went through. Nothing good is coming from that. But we look at Jesus and we see otherwise. We see appearance does not determine ability. Every single one of those things. Tell me right now, is there anything more beautiful now? They may have said he had no majesty, no form, no beauty. Nobody wanted to look at him. You can take away everything else if you can just put Jesus in front of my eyes. There is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more beautiful. He was despised and rejected. He was not esteemed. There's no name higher and greater. There's no name that's more praised throughout history. There's no name that has done more to change the course of history than Jesus Christ now. But back then, his appearance didn't really determine the ability, right? And we have to know that even for our own lives. Because in God's hands, appearance does not determine ability. You may be seeing some things and you may feel like that's dry ground. Nothing's coming from that. But put it in God's hands. Put it in God's hands. There's so many examples all throughout history, all throughout scripture of God taking what was little and insignificant, something that couldn't make a difference, something that was dry ground that came from horrible background, and then God changed the world with it. God, God changed everything with it. I mean, there's 12 examples that walked around with Jesus for three years, right? And, and I'm, we're going to get to heaven and they may be like, wow, you just, you just call me nothing. <laughs> but they know, they know that others were not looking at them as if they were something special. Others were looking at them and, and this is the funny thing. So these are all grown men. They have their own occupations going on. So literally what that means is that they were already passed over by the religious leaders of the day to be disciples. Jesus had to go to the outcasts, to those who were already passed over. And the other religious leaders said, oh, they're no good. You're not going to get anything from that. Those are the people Jesus went to. He loves using the weak. He loves using the unwise. He loves using those who don't think too highly of themselves and know I have little to offer. 
But if you can just put it in his hands and see what he'll do with it. Five loaves and the 5,000. Just a little bit. Just appearance does not determine ability. His majesty, his, he was not beautiful. He was insignificant, nothing to look at. David was the same way. I love that David is this example. He is the redheaded stepchild of history. David is the redheaded stepchild of history because he was the redheaded youngest boy who was had by a woman other than the other kids. Right? He was, he was the outcast. And when all of his other brothers were invited to sit with the most powerful, influential person of the time, Samuel, who came to do a sacrifice, and then they're there with the leaders of the city all sitting down, ready to eat this big gourmet meal, right? David's outside with the sheep. And remember, it's not like, oh, he was given this really important task because he was the only one that his father could trust. No. Later, you see his brothers, when David comes to the, to the battle lines, his the brothers are teasing him, saying, where are those few sheep? Where are your few sheep? They're, they're saying, your task is insignificant. So here he is, the insignificant, redheaded stepchild, youngest runt of the litter, and he's doing an insignificant task. But his, all of his brothers pass before Samuel, and Samuel says, Wait a minute, don't you have a, do you have another son? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's the youngest one out in the field. <laughs> Didn't think he would need to be here. I mean, <laughs> who would have called him in, right? I love Samuel's response because I feel like this is God's heart for each and every single one of us. Where you have people who are, you know, honored and, and they, they're, they're the real important people of the town. They're the real important people of the, of the nation and the area around. And you have all these people who are well esteemed and look the part. Remember, Samuel looked at, at David's brother and was like, surely this is the king. And the God said, no, 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 not the outer appearance. So he looked like a king. You had people who were looking the part and then I feel like this is God's heart for us because Samuel says, go get him, go get David because none of us will sit down until he gets here. None of us will sit down until he gets here. I don't care how important they are. I don't care how influential they are. I don't care how great they look. God will stop everything on a dime for the insignificant little shepherd boy. God will stop everything on the dime for you when you're feeling insignificant, when you feel like what you're going through and what you're, what you're trying to handle, what you're doing isn't making a difference. There was something David was doing out there, the insignificant boy with the insignificant task that made him the only one in all of Israel that God said, that's the man after my heart. You're the one that's going to be king. There was something he was going through in that insignificant task of the day of the day that we likely struggle with, right? That insignificant task of waking up and, and maybe spending some time and devotion with God every day. That little task of reading and praying, that little task of, of calming our temper, that little, that little task of, of how we handle and respect others and, and treat with love and kindness, that, that little task, there's something in there that God is using, that God is molding, that God is shaping and God can use 
for the king of Israel, for, for what he's going to do in your life. God, if you put that in God's hands, you can see what he'll do with it. All throughout history, you have Moses and his shepherd staff, this, this, this outlaw for 40 years, man wanted for murder, and now he's 80 years old. That's not the person I'm going to call. But what God say, give me your shepherd's staff, see what I can do with it. This little boy walking home, you know, carrying his five loaves of bread. And it's like, oh, there's a big crowd there, but I got to get home to my mom. And, and, and so he's on his way home and, and they're like, oh, we're all so hungry. We're all so hungry. And one of the disciples come and snatch him up and like, hey, hey, look, I got this little kid with five loaves of bread. But I mean, I don't know what we're going to do with it. Um, he's like, yeah, it's just five loaves of bread. What am I going to do? And but you can have it. It's not much. It means nothing. It's little in comparison to all these people around. It means nothing, but you can have it. It's, it's little. It's insignificant. And what Jesus do? Give me your five loaves. I feel there, there's probably someone in here right now who you know, you already know. There's something turning over in your mind that you've been looking at something like it doesn't matter much. What you're doing, it doesn't matter much. It's not going anywhere and it's not significant, but God is saying, give it to me. Give me, give me that shepherd's staff. Give me those five loaves. Give it to me and see what I can do with it. Give me that kid. Give me your kid and see what I can do with it. Give me that marriage and see what I can do with it. Give me your relationship. Give me that business. Give me that dream of yours, that dream that you feel like you just keep on hitting a brick wall and it's not going anywhere. You keep on trying and trying again. It keeps on turning over. Give it to me. See what I can do with it. Appearance does not determine ability. Sometimes it's the appearance that nothing's happening because it's taking too long. Right? It's not microwave quick. Right? It's not a hungry man meal. He can't just pop it in the, pop it in the microwave, pull it out, eat it, and then do another one because you know you're still hungry. Right? It's not quick. So sometimes we feel like it's not doing anything. But God sees something that you don't see. God saw something in David that no one else saw, right? God saw something in Moses that no one else saw. God saw something in Abraham and Sarah that no one else saw. God sees something in you that no one else sees. Even yourself, even yourself, God sees something in you that you don't see. And that no one around you sees. And we can be molded by what other people are seeing and their expectations. Or we can be molded by God's. We can be molded by what we can expect of God. Because you can, you can give God a donkey and he'll rebuke a prophet. You, you, you can give God a might. Right? You can give him a penny. Put it in today's terms. You can give him a penny. And God will look at that and he'll place you amongst heroes of the faith in scripture and say, she gave the most. She gave the most. You can, you can give God so little because we think it's little. We think we're little. So little that 
that nothing can really come from it, but he brings life from dry ground. He brings life from dry ground. There's some things that just take too long. There's this one saying, I have to say it's slow, is smooth, and smooth is fast. Slow is smooth and smooth. Has anybody ever heard that before? Right? I'm surprised you've heard it. Yeah? I was expecting, I was expecting Mike and my veterans in here to raise their hands. Because he's, he's nodding his head. He's like, okay, all right. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I was, um, in, as Pastor Stan said, I served in the, the Air Force and all security forces. And so um, I was a, a trainer for other security forces members in high-risk response situations, high-risk response training. And that was for active shooter situations and something that was drilled into our heads and that we had to drill into other people's heads was slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. We don't, we don't do all this. We don't, we don't run around like that, but slow is smooth and smooth is fast. We take it slow, right? We want to get where we're going quickly, but we also want to get there the right way. We want to make sure that when we're going through our process and when we're entering a room and when we're doing different strategies, slow is smooth and slow is fast. We slow things down. It's, it's amazing what the human mind can do. It's, we, we can slow ourselves down and really think things through, but yet still be moving at a good pace. So we kind of, we slow ourselves down. We, we just calm our mind. We calm our, we, we let our, we let, we let our mind and our body kind of catch up with each other and we slow ourselves down so that we make sure we're doing things with quality. And if we didn't do that, if we just went all willy nilly and we're running around and our weapons are going everywhere and, you know, and, and then, and then one, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all running. So one person comes into the room by himself. And then, you know, a minute later, the next person comes into the room by themselves. There's lives on the line. And likely all those lives are going to be gone. But with discipleship and your spiritual life, can I tell you slow is smooth and smooth is fast? Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Sometimes we think it's that two-hour prayer meeting that's going to make us, you know, the, the, the next Billy Graham, the next apostle, right? Sometimes we think we're just going to get in there, we're going to get it real quick, and we're going we're gonna to hear this one sermon, and that's going to change everything, and I'll be good. I'll come back next Easter. But with discipleship, with our spiritual walk, with our, with our walk with God, slow is smooth. And smooth is fast. It's not going to be microwave quick. Jesus spent three years investing in the 12 people. If there was anyone, anyone who ever walked the face of the earth who could have did a mega church and did it like perfect. 12 people. He invested hardcore three years He made the world in seven days and he took three years. (laughs) But slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Discipleship, true growth with God. Get this, the big big R word, relationship takes time. It takes time. 
And when we do that, when we invest that time and slow is smooth and smooth is fast, we will see more fruit and more multiplication from that than if we were running around real hard and, and we're, 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 we're preaching to a hundred here and a hundred there and a hundred there and a hundred there and we're, we're doing thousands. And No, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Let's invest in 12 people, right? And, and from those 12 people, Jesus says, okay, guys, you got this. And then that 12 becomes 120. That 120 becomes 3,000. That 3,000 becomes all oh, the, the, the inside group that overthrows the Roman Empire. <laughs> and it becomes a movement that has marked the course of history and changed the world countless times over. Slow is smooth. And smooth is fast. No matter how small, unattractive, or insignificant something may seem, you put it in God's hands. You put it in God's hands and see what he can do with that. No matter how small, unattractive, or insignificant you think you are, that you may feel, that you may seem, that others may be saying about you. Don't be molded by what man expects. Don't, don't let man mold you. Man, they can, they can fashion an idol, right? They're trying to mold you just like, like man would mold idols and make these little fake idols. Those idols were deaf, dumb, stupid, lazy, couldn't do anything. And they're all broken and gone now. Let the God of eternity mold you. Let his expectations mold you. Number two. Why number one take so long though? It's because slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. That's right. But remember that appearance does not determine ability. Appearance does not determine ability. Number two. There is no grumbling with glory. And no glory without grumbling. There is no grumbling with glory. And no glory without grumbling. If you want glory, there's no grumbling with it. You don't, you don't get to glory with, with a bunch of grumbling. With a, with a bunch of, oh, this could be better. And I could do this. And, oh, I don't want to do this. And kicking rocks the whole way. and You don't. You don't get to glory that way. That doesn't honor God. That, that doesn't honor him. When you're grumbling against the church and those people, you know, those other people around you and you're, you're grumbling and unbelievers are hearing this. When you're, when you're grumbling because your, your, your church is bringing up uh, giving tithes and offerings. And your kids are hearing this? When, when you're, you're grumbling over your, 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 what your spouse is doing or, or isn't doing or whatnot, and your kids are hearing it? When, when you're grumbling over your kids' school and their teachers? When you're, when you're grumbling, how does that lead to glory? I know without a shadow of a doubt 
the, one, the biggest assignment that I've been given, one of the biggest responsibilities that we have, parents, are those kids and leading them to know, love, and serve God, to follow in his footsteps, to be more like him, right? But if we're regularly grumbling, what example is that set? There is no grumbling with glory and no glory without grumbling. I know little Aria, bless her heart, um, our five-year-old, me and Christina right now, we, we regularly have this um, response to her, which is, okay, then you won't have it. Okay, we'll take that away. Okay. Because we'll offer her, I don't know, let's say we offer her some pizza. She's like, I wanted a corn dog. Okay. No pizza, no corn dog. You're good. Now, I hear people like, good parenting, good parenting. You know who's the best parent? And when we're, we're grumbling, ah, I wanted this, I wanted that, I got this, but I wanted this. Man, thank, thank you for mercy and grace that he doesn't just be like, okay, well, then I'll take it all back, everything I gave you. Oh, that breath. You, you can have it back when you respect it, right? There is no grumbling with glory and no glory without grumbling. Sometimes we're surprised um, when we get pushback. And sometimes we let the expectation of pushback stop us from doing what God is calling us to do. We were surprised when we're like, God, I'm doing what you're doing. Why are they acting so crazy? Well, kind of, you know, Jesus kind of did what he was supposed to do. I mean, I think, right? You know, and I would say people acted a little crazy with him, just a little bit. I mean, I don't know. Maybe after the first few lashes, it was, it was, it was too much. Maybe after, you know, the, the beating and the crucifixion. and I, I don't know, maybe. But people got a little crazy with him. There was grumbling. And there's always going to be grumbling when you're living towards a standard and an expectation of what God has for you versus what other people are looking for, toward, versus what other people want and what other people expect of you. And it's not even, I mean, again, we look at Abraham, right? It's like, I'm sure there was grumbling because they're trying to say, Abraham, you really need to calm down with this. You know, CPS is going to come in and take everything if you keep on talking. You know, they're going to take away Ishmael if you keep on talking about the fact that you can have another kid, right? Like, Sometimes people aren't being vindictive when they're pushing back on you. Sometimes they're trying to help. Sometimes they're thinking, I'm going to, let's bring it back in. I'm going to bring you back down to earth. Sometimes that's what they're thinking. And I think Peter was kind of this way. I love Peter. I think a lot of, how, how many Peter fans we have? Peter fans? Yes. Peter fans. I, 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 I tell people, you know, we love Peter because... Either we see some of ourselves in him or we want to be more like him, right? Because Peter was bold and Peter was crazy. He made a lot of mistakes, but he was bold, right? And we love that. 
We love that. And, and one of the things I wish I could have been there for this moment is when Jesus is telling the disciples, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Um, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to raise again. And, and Peter steps in like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Come here, Jesus. I rebuke this Jesus. Like, it literally says Jesus, Peter rebuked Jesus. And I'm like, wow. Can you imagine, like, looking Jesus in the eye? Or maybe he was like, no, Jesus. Nah, not Peter. You know, it wasn't. Peter probably, like, tried to grab a hold of Jesus' beard. Like, that's just how Peter was. But can you imagine just rebuking Jesus? Peter did it. He's probably the only person throughout history that who could say that. Right? Peter rebuked Jesus. But then Jesus had to turn back to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. For you're not thinking of the things of God, but your, your, your mind's focused on the things of man. Peter was saying, no, no, uh, 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 arresting and killing. and that's, that's not the plan. He was, he was trying to mold it into this plan of the expectations, what man had, you know, planned out and expected of the Messiah. And that, that wasn't part of it. But Jesus wasn't listening to the grumbling and expectations of man. He was listening to the, the plan and the expectations of God. He, he knew what, what he had. So he had to turn to Peter and say, you're thinking about the things of man and not the things of God. And often I wonder, and I have to ask myself, and maybe we should all ask this self, are we thinking of the things of man? Or are we thinking of the things of God? Because so, so often we'll make our, our decision based off of what others would say, think, or do. And the expectations of man versus the things of God. Are we considering Jesus in the middle of these things? Are you considering Jesus or are you letting his voice get drowned out by the grumbling and the expectations of man? I love that God can use, and not just that he can, but so often he does use what others see as small as insignificant. What other people see as small, insignificant, it's not going to do much, it doesn't make a difference. That's exactly what God uses. And it's funny because we're in a world and a culture today that will a lot of times look at what scripture says and what it guides us towards doing and not doing. And they'll say, that's no big deal. You can do that. Right? That's no big deal. But it's even in those little things that God is setting up something greater. Right? There's this, I was, my wife has been listening to, uh, uh, some talk about kind of this this pushback on on what uh, people have deemed uh, the 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 purity culture right or or uh, uh, purity Christians is that what it's called purity culture yeah so the purity culture so like that idea of hey don't have sex before marriage right 
it's not a big deal. Just push that aside. So little, so insignificant. Did you know that marriages last longer and are a lot more fulfilling when you're not having sex outside of marriage? I don't know, but did you, did you realize that, you know, your life is, is more fulfilling when you follow some of these commands that God has put out? It's, it's almost like the person who, who told us to do and not to do these things actually wanted what was best for us. It's, it's almost like his, his word says that if you listen to me, things will go well. I don't know. It's crazy because so often we'll push aside these little things. But it's these little things that God uses that make a huge difference. We can't see how it's going to play out, but he can. And so when we're looking at the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, patience. Self-control. When we're looking at these things and we don't weigh them as though they're significant, they seem insignificant, those are the things that God really uses to make you into the man and woman that you were created to be. That's what God uses to bring you the most fulfillment and satisfaction. That's what God uses to take David, the insignificant shepherd boy, and turn him into the man after his heart. It's what God uses to, to take Moses and turn him into the deliverer of a whole nation. It's what God uses, these little things. And he can do the same in our lives. The last point that I want to share that we can take away from Jesus' example here is God doesn't just plant a seed. He plans an oasis. So seed, this is Christianese, right? We plant a seed. That means that we're, we're, we're depositing a thought, a teaching. We're trying to put the word of God and see good things come from that in somebody's life or in a situation, right? This is planting seed. And sometimes we'll think that, okay, we're, we're, we're casting, we're scattering some seed. We're planting a seed here. We're planting a seed here. And we're looking for like a vine or a tree to come from that, right? We're looking to see some fruit from that person's lives or from that situation, from whatever we shared. And we may be thinking in these small terms of a plant or a tree or a vine where, where God is looking at a much bigger picture, and what he's trying to do with even these small and significant tasks, what he's trying to do in these situations, what he's trying to do with our lives, what he wants to do with your life. Yes, with your life is he wants to plan an oasis, a place where people can find refuge, a place where people can find life and substance and health and growth and, and actually be safe from the destruction, decay, and the heat and the burn of the outside world. He doesn't just want to make you a plant. 
He doesn't look at you like, okay, I'm going to grow this little plant here, and I'm going to grow this little plant here. You're, mar- you're part of a much bigger plan. He's, he, he's placing you in the middle of a desert to be this, this beautiful oasis where others can come to and find that refuge, that shade, that life that they need. He doesn't just plan plants a seed, but he plans an oasis. We see this within Jesus's life. If we look at verses five and six of this same chapter, it says, but he was pierced for our, somebody say our, our transgressions. It went beyond him. What God wants to do in your life goes beyond just you. He was pierced for our transgressions, transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, he was healed. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I just want that to sit for a moment. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Everyone. Sometimes the world will tell you that that's no big deal. Sometimes we don't recognize what we have done as people when we sin, when we walk from God, when we say we can do it on our own. How we have turned away from the one that gave us life. How we have turned away from the one who gave up his very own son for you how we have turned away, how we have gone astray. Yes, you may may be a very generous, a very kind, a, a, a very respectful person, very respectable person, but you have still gone astray. You have still gone your own way. And that way does not lead to life. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Jesus came and while all of this stuff may have been true to people who were looking at him, all the while, And long after, we can see that it was the farthest thing from the truth. It was an image that people had based off of the expectations of man. He had no form or majesty. He had no beauty. He was stricken by God 
what's beautiful is that the, the, the scripture has this dichotomy in here. It has this, this, this beautiful balance and, and opposing truths that seem like you can't, you can't work that together. How can he not be beautiful, stricken, you know, by man, but yet then be the Lord of all glory, the creator of heaven and earth, from whom all good things flow? How could he be stricken by God, yet be the one who saved us from our sins? And how could he be stricken by God, yet be so close and intimate with him? We may look at ourselves sometimes and wonder, how can God use this? There's no way that these things will match up because you're not perfect. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that. I'm sorry to burst that bubble. I'm so sorry. If I had known nobody had told you that, then I probably would have came in a little softer, but we're already there now. You ain't perfect. We're far from it. Right? But God. But God. When he forgives you, you're called the righteousness. The righteousness of God. doesn't make any sense but God we have all gone astray and Jesus shows us that when God has a plan it goes far beyond just that one individual and I want you to know that God has a plan for you for your life and it goes far beyond you even You may think that there's areas around you that are dry ground that God can use you. God can use you. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask Pastor Stan to, to come up and close us. Father, we just thank you so much for the example that we see in Jesus. And I pray, Father, I pray that we grab a hold of the plans that you have for us the ultimate plan that you have for us and knowing, loving and serving you and being in relationship with you and making Jesus our Lord and Savior. We thank you for his example. We thank you that he is alive and that he will lead us and that he has done everything necessary to already save us we turn to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Good stuff, huh? Good stuff. So where are you at with Jesus today? Because we don't want you to leave this place not having the opportunity to act on what you just heard, that there is a heaven and a hell, and you get to determine where you go. Um, and we take that serious at our church, amen? That's why I do what I do, is, is eternity matters. Eternity is in the balance. 
so if you just bow your heads with me just a moment, and I'm just going to ask you, just pure and simple, where is your walk with God today? Um, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, uh, just keep serving him, keep doing the best you can. But if you've never given him your life, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, um, he is a God that loves you. He has seen all the dirt, everything that you have done, and he still wants you to come home. Um, and you, you might have given your life to Christ maybe when you were a little kid, but you're so far backslid. You're just so far away from God that you want to come back. And what I'm going to ask you is if you want to come back, if you would, just between me and you and the Lord, just lift your hand up, say, Stan, that's me. I need to come back. Okay, I see hands, several hands. So um, here's what we do. We pray as a family, uh, just a prayer of repentance or a prayer of asking Jesus to come into our life. And so if you would repeat it after me, and if you raise your hand and you mean this, um, Jesus will become your Savior. Your sins will be forgiven, and heaven will be your home when you take your last breath. Well, let's pray it together. Let's say this. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. Amen. And we can give a hand to those who just joined the family. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, Pastor Nathaniel, that was, a, that was an amazing message. Um, I'm going to share some of the things that I got out of it. Because um, you know, it was almost a different message, first serve and second and that's what I love. And I'm taking all these notes. Um, the one that stands out the most is God uses little things. Thank you for that, brother. You gave me hope. Uh, because it wasn't the appearance, all right? Uh, the following fixes the focus. The following, when you follow Jesus, he said, consider Jesus. The following fixes the focus uh, because we get our focus on a lot of wrong things. Uh, don't focus on the failure. Focus on his faithfulness, all right? Um, and don't, I like this, I just got this one. Don't let man mold you, and I added, or you'll become moldy. It's true. So, brother, you inspired me. I did get saved second service. So, uh, once again, thank you so much for being here today. Um, if you're brand new, uh, be, let's see who's at the info booth. Is it Misty? All right. Um, the light and the glory blinded me. And she's just in the dark. Um, so she has a cup for you. Um, has some information. If you give your life to Jesus, if you need a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. And there's a little uh, called a New Believer's Handbook. It's like, okay, I, I prayed this prayer. What do I do now? That's what this book is all about. So I uh, do invite you back to Wednesday night. We're just having a great Bible study. I'm floored every Wednesday of how many people are showing up to that. And I was just, it's a, it's a tumbling to see that. Uh, I've got stuff for the kids. It's a lot of fun. So love you. Uh, I'd tell you to stay out of the smoke, but that's impossible. Um, but. Just thank you for being here. Pastor Nathaniel, again, let's just give him and his beautiful wife another hand. Thank you guys so much. So, All right. Well, if you want to meet the legend, hang around, and he'll be glad to talk to you. So.